Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Mitch Zandis, a registered clinical dietitian who has an interesting journey to dietetics and who has a goal of being the smartest dietitian that ever was. Today's conversation is sponsored by Moku Health. Moku Health has a unique profile of products and they have this drink mix called Superfood Oomph that has probiotics in it and it has powerful nutrients a variety of greens all while tasting really great all I have to do is add it to my water and I just shake it up and it's delicious cruise on over to their website mokuhealth m-o-c-u health.com view their products and order some of your own and if you decide to don't forget to use my code and 20 a-n-n-e 20 for 20% off your order There are some humans you come across and just know you instantly like them. Mitch is one of those dietitians who caught my eye with his passion for discussing nutrition research and creating conversations in a very unique way on social media. During our conversation, Mitch gets very personal about his journey to dietetics and how his life has changed dramatically over the past six years. After listening to this conversation, you will understand why he wants to keep gaining as much knowledge as possible in dietetics and how he uses social media to grow his expertise and how I might really want him to be my dietitian in the hospital. Please enjoy my conversation with Mitch. Well, since let's, why don't we go back? So you kind of said that you're a younger dietitian. So why don't you take me to the moment that you kind of decided you wanted to go into dietetics and maybe, I know you have a great story, which you just kind of posted on Instagram, which I thought was Mm -hmm. fantastic. But for people that aren't there, why don't you share with my listeners your story (laughs) and how you got to be where you are today? Yeah. So in order to really understand how I came to dietetics, you have to uh, pretty much go back to my childhood. So um, my mother, I come from a very good family. I'm the youngest of three boys. And I was raised out in Long Island in a small town called Stony Brook. Uh, excellent parenting. My parents are the best. And unfortunately, my mother was diagnosed with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis when I was very young probably when I was around fourth or fifth grade. And for a lot of my childhood and early teenage years, she was in and out of the hospital. And when she was home, she was pretty much bedridden or, you know, just not uh, a tremendously supportive parent. But there were definitely times where I was having to step up um, and take more responsibility and also more responsibility on my older brothers. Uh, So... You know, when I was in about eighth grade, I, I started using alcohol and marijuana. And this was something that was introduced to me by my older brother who was, who was doing it at the same time. And it became something that me and my friends started doing all the time on the weekends. And sadly, by the time we got to 10th grade, we had been experimenting with other things. It became frequently uh, frequent participation and expanding our horizons. And one of my close friends who I had grown up with, I received a call one morning that he had overdosed on heroin and had passed away. And that is not, that is not a drug I had ever, you know, taken or, or been involved in. And it's something I didn't know he was doing, but it did happen. Wow. It did happen. Um, so from, from that, from that moment, you know, it seems like something that would be a life-changing moment, but it, it really didn't have the impact that you think it would. So me and my friends, after we were pallbearers at the funeral, uh, after the funeral, we went out and we drank a bunch of 40 ounces and, and smoked marijuana. And that was our way of kind of mourning. And it just kind of moved on. And so you're, you're young and you don't really understand what, what happens with those things. So I think from a young age, I definitely had... Uh, some emotional issues and those were channeled in very unhealthful behaviors. 
So uh, flashing forward, this carried out throughout high school. Uh, you know, I was always uh, a bright kid. I did well in school, so I had that to fall back on. But I definitely didn't have any aspirations for a career, what I wanted to do. And I just kind of went through the college application process as something my parents wanted me to do. It was kind of expected in my family that you just go to college. So I ended up being accepted to a place called Clemson University. Uh, I showed up there uh, in August of 2009, and I had never been there before. So that was my way of applying for colleges. I just kind of applied to a bunch. I didn't even go see them. I got accepted to Clemson. I got accepted to Clemson and, you know, my mom was sick. Uh, my dad is a very hard worker, very busy, and we just didn't have an opportunity to go down there. It's in South Carolina. Okay. And, yeah, they sent me off. I showed up there and I was in a completely different world. I went from a small New York town where everybody thought they were gangsters uh, <laughs> to a big public Southern University on the Bible Belt where people are wearing uh, slacks and vineyard vines. And so it's kind of in a different world. And sure. That's kind of when my uh, attitude and, uh, you know, outlook on, you know, where my life should go started to change a little bit. Uh, I started seeing, you know, my classmates and other people around campus, like actually doing something with their lives. And there I was a freshman. I was, I was overweight. I didn't work out. I was smoking pot every single day. I was getting drunk on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was experimenting with, you know, other drugs, uh, ecstasy, you know, just stupid party drugs. I don't know what I can get in trouble for saying on here. So I have to be oh, careful. Oh, nothing. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm just, if, is it okay if I just keep on going? Just keep yes, on talking? I, yes, absolutely. Okay. So, you know, in the spring semester of my freshman year, I received a uh, phone call from one of my friends who my brother had, you know, kind of, I guess, been dating in a sense or just talking to. They were friends. I'm not really sure what their relationship was like in reality. But she had called me and said, hey, I'm really concerned about your brother. He is um, definitely depressed and he's, you know, channeling it into alcohol and prescription pills, other drugs. And so, um, this was, this was something that was devastating for me because, uh, growing up, my brother was my biggest role model. That's how I started using drugs <laughs> in the first place. But, uh, in more positive things, he, my brother's very smart. He's an avid reader. Um, he's pretty outgoing. And so I always tried to, to model after him and do things that he was doing. And I thought that would lead me down the right road. And so when I found out that this was going on, it was hurtful at first, but then when that summer came around and we were all under the same roof, that's when it really started to take a toll on myself and my family. Um, so it was a lot worse than I had originally anticipated. And our family definitely went through some tough times trying to deal with uh, having that in our household. So this went on for a couple of years and the summer after my, my second year in college, uh, he was on a sober, he had been getting treatment and he was sober for most of the summer. And then in, uh, right before I went to college, he, uh, had a relapse and the night of the relapse was at a party we were at. It was a family barbecue and I was so mad. I was wasted. And I said, you know what? Screw you. Screw you guys. Screw everybody. And I got in my car and I said, I'm going to play basketball. So unfortunately, I, I decided to drive drunk and I went to uh, a local basketball court at Stony Brook University. And as soon as I pulled into where the basketball court is supposed to be, the road that it's on, uh, I was just, you know, ambushed by police lights. And so I'm, I'm sitting in my car and I couldn't even say anything. I just rolled up to the cops and they said, roll down the window. And they said, why aren't you wearing your seatbelt? I said, I don't know. He's like, please step out of the car. 
So anyway, I went through the whole um, drunk driving protocol. Uh, they breathalyzed me. I was underage at the time. They breathalyzed me. They did the stepping thing. And I basically had an emotional breakdown to the police officer. I explained what had been going on with my brother, how I, I thought I was a truly good kid and I deserved a second chance and I didn't want to be arrested. And out of the grace of God, this, this, uh, police officer came up to me and said, Mitchell, you're a very lucky man tonight. We're going to allow you to call your father to pick you up. And so that night I ended up being taken home by my parents and I woke up the next day and I just, I kind of had a new outlook on life. It, it, um, it was definitely one of those turning points where I was like, all right, I can't keep going on with the way I've been, I've been doing things. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of just a, I, I think I went back to Clemson that year with kind of a new mind state. I, I stopped going to parties so much. I had uh, stopped smoking and I started spending some more time playing basketball and uh, being in the gym and just trying to uh, focus my, my mind on school and just improving my health. Uh, as a, I, as I think a lot of people find out is if you have underlying emotional issues you, you can't really solve it just by improving your health. And I learned that rather quickly. So after about a year of doing it, I, I did get in very good shape. And if you scroll far, far enough into my Instagram feed, I think at some point I did post a transformation picture from around the year 2012 or 2013. And I was able to get in very good shape. But on the inside, I was just destroyed. I, I had no self-esteem. I, I felt like I had you know, not only let my brother down, I felt like my friend who had passed away earlier, I had let him down and his family. And I just, I became overwhelmed with feelings of self-hatred. And I, I just, I was kind of disgusted um, with my past and it, it started to haunt me. And this, it was something that people were noticing. So I would get compliments on how I was looking, but then I would, I, if I would go to a party he would be like, Hey man, what's wrong with you? Like, are you okay? I would always get asked, are you okay? And, uh, I never said, I never told anyone that anything was wrong. So this is the, um, feelings I were having were, were definitely just internal. And I think this is something a lot of guys go through that they don't express is, uh, the I'm okay mentality because guys are, especially in our country are not, are not, um, encouraged to show emotion or weakness. Sure. And so even if, even if things are, are terrible and you hate yourself, you, you hate what you've done or you're uncomfortable in your skin. If somebody asks you if something's wrong, you just say, yes, I'm okay. And that's kind of something that I had carried with me through my whole life from the time I was a child, when people were always concerned about my mother uh, to when my friend passed and my, my parents asked me, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Uh, to when things were going wrong with my brother. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. But now looking back on it all throughout those years from the time I was in fourth grade to the time I was, you know, 21 or 22 years old, I wasn't okay. You know, I, I would tell everyone I was okay, but I wasn't. And, um, you know, I stuck with the fitness thing because I really did enjoy it. I, I was amazed at how good a shape I could get in and how, uh, my basketball game improved. I, I went from somebody who had never played basketball on a team to somebody who was in great shape. And people were like, Oh, you didn't play in high school. How'd you not play in high school? Like you, you could probably play division three college. And so those oh, things wow. were kind of, those were, those were really motivating for me. And, sure. uh, I guess around the same time, those, those kind of compliments were coming in. I was having people asking me about, you know, what my regimen is, what kind of diet I follow, you know, what I do for workouts. And from there on, it just kind of snowballed. And, uh, I had no practical experience. I was a, uh, just from personal experience, I was a English major in school. Uh, I graduated with a bachelor's in English and I, I had, I, I graduated with no plan, uh, an interest for, for nutrition, but really no plan. Uh, I guess 
I guess I can talk about uh, the opportunities that led me to nutrition. Yeah, because so, I mean, if you didn't have like a plan, you know, like graduate English, that's a great major. So it's interesting how, you know, like you had that personal passion for nutrition. How do you find, I mean, like those other things that happened that kind of led you to dietetic? Um, I guess, I guess the other thing, the things that, the first one, obviously, I've already touched upon is just a personal interest and in how mm-hmm. other people were noticing that I was taking interest in it. Uh, I, I'm forever grateful to a girl I knew at Clemson who was a friend of mine. Her name was Michelle Fallon, and she was a nutrition major. And she kind of knew I had an interest in nutrition, and I was, I was learning a lot about it. So she had heard about an opportunity with the Clemson football dietitian. And Clemson's a huge program, and she she kind of uh, just gave me her name and her email address, and I said, "What the heck?" I, I reached out to her and I said, "Hi, my name's Mitchell Zandis. I I'm an English major. I think I know a little bit about nutrition, but I want to learn more. And if you would take me on as uh, you know, just somebody to shadow or volunteer, yeah, I would greatly appreciate the opportunity." And she was actually kind enough to let me come and see her. And so uh, once a week for the rest of the semester of my senior year, I would go down to her office and we never really did anything spectacular. I kind of just like I would look up like restaurants that the baseball team could go to uh, when they're at away games. But for me, it was a big step because I I felt official. You know, I, <laughs> I, sure. would wear a, I would wear a Clemson football uh, collared shirt with some slacks and I'd show up down by their locker room and just go into her office. And it actually turned out to be an excellent uh, opportunity for me because that summer I, I came home. I uh, had decided I was going to become a personal trainer. And at that same time, I had reached out to the local university in Stony Brook and said, same thing. My name is Mitchell Zandis. I have a bachelor's in English. I do have experience working at Clemson as a volunteer, and I was wondering if you would take me on. So they called me in for an interview, and they, they ended up taking me. Wow. And that, was, that one was a, a much uh, more thorough opportunity at a smaller scale, because the difference between Clemson football and... Uh, and Stony Brook football, it's like the difference between the sun and the moon in terms of size. And, but at Stony Brook, they had no nutrition program in place. And so I kind of came in and they knew I was coming from Clemson. They kind of took me as like an expert or someone who actually knew what they were talking about. And they gave me a lot, they gave me a lot of freedom there. They allowed me to create PowerPoints that were played in the weight room throughout the summer they actually allowed me to counsel some of the players on like by myself. Wow. So that's awesome. Of, so there are a lot of cool, cool things that came out of that. And at that point it was the summer after I graduated, I had decided I was going to go back to school and uh, become a nutritionist. I didn't really know what a, a registered dietitian was or anything, but I, well, I guess I had known what it was, but I didn't know what it was going to entail. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of, I, I took, I had no science backgrounds. I took one of the first, I took chemistry or biology or anatomy or one of those at the local community college in the fall semester. And then it just kind of, uh, kind of snowballed and I just kept on pushing through. Was it difficult to transition into science, you know, after English and what your major I, was? I, I think I, ha- I was driven. So I, I didn't, it. I wanted it. I wanted it. I, I didn't, you know, I would go home, I would read the textbook. I, I just wanted to keep on learning and just become a better, uh, become more knowledgeable. And so it wasn't hard at me, uh, hard for me at all. It really wasn't. I, um, I found, I found pleasure in it. Did you find throughout that process of, you know, volunteering with Clemson and then working with Stony Brook, did you kind of start to heal yourself internally and how you felt about yourself? I think that that came with forgiveness. I think 
those were positive experiences. I was surrounding myself with people who were positive and were, you know, hardworking, good people that were heading in the right direction. And I think that was a good thing for me to be, be around all the time. Uh, but I, I think it was a, uh, an internal personal, uh, quest for forgiveness that, that kind of, uh, helped me out forgiving myself for just being a young influential kid and, and giving into peer pressure and, um, forgiveness, knowing that, you know, the passing of Mike was, was not my fault. It was unfortunate circumstances. And I just happened to be someone who had spent time with him and had a decent relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Um, but that it didn't determine my future and it didn't, uh, make me a bad person. And then, uh, forgiveness finally for, you know, I definitely did not react appropriately when my brother became, uh, you know, uh, I guess an addict in a sense, you, you kind of have to call it what it is. Uh, you know, I had never dealt with something so close to home like that as far as addiction goes. And so your reaction is anger, um, hate in a sense. Uh, and I, I guess kind of those aren't, those emotions aren't conducive to helping the person cope with what they're dealing with and, and finding healing themselves. And so I think it took uh, a couple of years for me to kind of learn how to deal with what he was going through and, and forgive myself for acting and acting the way I did with anger and frustration. And, and um, yeah, I guess just fine, you know, finding peace with that was a typical reaction and, I didn't know any better. And now you don't do that anymore. <laughs> I don't do it anymore. Yeah. So my, my brother, uh, my brother actually moved across the world. My brother, he was continued struggling at home. And one of, one of our childhood friends, his family is from New Zealand and his father offered to send him over there to work for a couple months. Wow. That was over, that was over four years ago. And so my brother moved there a little over four years ago and, um, hasn't come back. And, he's, <laughs> and now he's a citizen. Now he's a citizen there. Is he, is he yeah. doing well? Uh, he's happy. That's the most important part. And that's what my parents always say. He's happy. He's, he's developed tremendous relationships over there. He's got a really good group of friends and, as far as we know, he's happy. Well, that's good. That's all you, like you said, that's all you can hope for, for people that you care about. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to see him? I haven't. And it's definitely on my bucket list, but since he's been there, the last four years have been kind of crazy for me because I, I felt like after I graduated and I didn't have a plan, I was kind of playing catch up in my early twenties. Sure. And so I've been on this role the last couple of years between um, trying to get experience, trying to get become a dietitian and, and get a job. And then also um, with schooling, completing my master's, it's kind of been hard to carve out uh, a decent amount of time where I can go over there. First, um, as far as expense goes, it's not a cheap yeah. trip to do. And, and second, it's a pretty long flight. It's about 18 hours just to get there. Yeah, you're going to have to carve off a lot of time. And it doesn't sound like you have any time right now because you are trying so hard to really navigate your career. Yes, so, I am. Yeah, so talk to me about that. I know that you said you're working today. So, you know, after you found that you had an interest and you figured out you wanted to go into nutrition, did you kind of just think about the nutritionist route and, you know, not really look at that dietitian route or... How did you decide? I, I never, I never considered the nutritionist route. I think I was pretty sold on the registered dietitian route and I wanted to be a sports dietitian. Uh, I knew that was going to take some time and I, I became a personal trainer because I also needed to work while I was in school. And I had always, from the beginning, I had imagined myself being a personal trainer, uh, being a strength coach, and then uh, making my way into sports nutrition and working with a sports team, whether at the college level or 
um, private practice or professional. And I think one of the experiences that kind of um, tipped me away from pursuing that in the immediate future was one of my personal training clients was the owner of a program that serves special needs uh, adults. They are, uh, it's a program that is basically a bridge, a bridge from high school to adulthood. So kids with learning disabilities that are not given the opportunity to go to college, they go to this program and they set them up with a place to live and, uh, you know, teach them how to cook and do like just basic, uh, activities of daily living, I guess. Yeah. Life skills. And he, uh, we built a relationship through training and he invited me along to become a personal trainer for them. And I, I had started doing that on the weekends and they ended up needing more help like most small organizations do. And I, I started spending a lot of time hanging around there. I was working on weekends. I would take them to the mall, to the movies and all kinds of plays. And it kind of, it kind of made me realize that yeah, sports is cool. It's fun to make uh, athletes perform better and kind of push them to the next level. But there's a lot of people, you know, close to me that can use help in, in much, uh, much more needed ways. Instead of making an athlete, a good athlete, great, you know, I could potentially um, change someone's lives that isn't able to participate in athletic events at all. Sure. Uh, and so that, that experience uh, kind of pushed me in the, the clinical route as well as my schooling. I definitely took an interest in, in clinical. And so by the time I, I got into my internship or I was applying to internships, I, I was pretty set on uh, postponing any idea of being a sports dietitian. I was, I was pretty much focused on going the clinical route and, and figuring out how I can uh, help people who are I don't know if underserved is the right word. Um, uh, maybe disadvantaged. I, I don't know. I can't really think of the, the correct term uh, that, that is not offensive to anyone, but I, I think, I think you can understand what I, I think you can understand, uh, what I mean. Yeah. The, the people, the kind of people that I, I wanted to help. Sure. Well, that actually, that's, I, that just touches my heart because I actually have my, my sister was a special needs, um, sibling. So, you know, there isn't a lot of programs and support for those individuals that will not go on to college or will not go on to a prospering degree or, you know, career. So I think that's interesting that you had that intervention that kind of changed your mind. Mm -hmm. And that's all it takes. I, I think it, uh, to obviously everybody, you know, knows their special needs people out there and that there's people that need assistance from, from others. And, and I don't think you really, um, find how impactful you can be or, or, uh, what kind of influence you can have until you actually do it. Sure. That program sounds amazing. I would love to know more about that program because it, it's, it's an excellent program. And, and it I, sounds I like you really that, liked it because you spent a lot of time there. I did. I did. And I still, when I do have the opportunity to go home, I try to go and see them. Uh, I guess last fall they had come out to the Bronx Botanical Garden. I had uh, surprised them up there. Aww. And the the woman who is like the, the supervisor, uh, Donna Johnson Fiorello, I've mentioned her in an Instagram story before, and I hope she does take... You know, if she does find out I'm on this podcast, you definitely listen to it. She's been perhaps my biggest supporter and she was there for me when I, when I was just starting to get into, um, uh, just starting to kind of, uh, be healing with forgiveness. And she, she was somebody that I felt comfortable enough to open up to. And she was probably the first person that I had ever explained the emotions I was going through. And it happened <laughs> in all places at a Panera. We, we decided we decided to get lunch one day, and she was one of these people. I, I said earlier in the podcast that there were people that um, 
were able to just see right through me and say, Hey, you look good on the outside, but I can tell there's something messed up with you. Like you, you're mm-hmm. not right. And she was able to, to identify that. And she called me out on it. And at that Panera, I pretty much just broke down in her arms, like crying and explained some of the emotions that we've, we've talked about today. And she was somebody who was from that point on has been a huge supporter in my life and everything I do. And she's always, um, constantly texting me, sending me positive messages. And so I can't really thank her enough. Wow. See, you were meant to cross paths. <laughs> and that's something she, she loves. She loves that term. She always says, I'm very grateful our paths have crossed in this journey of life. It's like one thing she's, she's constantly uh, messaged to me. And so I, I've, I've kind of uh, adopted that and tried spreading it to other people. Well, that's, it's a great message because it is true. I really feel like we cross paths with the people we're meant to cross paths with. So yeah, that's great. You have someone like that in your life. Yeah. I'm very fortunate and I'm very fortunate for my family. Um, I am. I, I, I think there has been some damage with my relationship with my brother, but, and with some of the things I've done, I, I, I definitely didn't get into the nitty gritty details of some of the things when I was in high school and thought I was a gangster. Uh, <laughs> but, but, um, for my parents, if I was my parents, I would have been sent away to a boarding school when I was in <laughs> 10th grade. Uh, some of the things I, I've done from, you know, and some of the things they've had to deal with because of me, I, I definitely should have been disowned or sent away or, or at least grounded, but they were, they, they were able to keep confidence in me and, um, give me the opportunity to, uh, go away to college. Mm-hmm. I think going away to college was <laughs> the biggest thing. Uh, the best thing that ever happened to me was going to Clemson was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it, it took me and put me into a completely different environment and, uh, really fostered success. And so I, I look back on, on them knowing that I was, I was not doing well as far as, taking care of my health and my grades definitely could have had an improvement uh, improvement and still allowing me to go away to college and having trust that I would, I would find my way. Cause if I was a parent and, and uh, my kid was doing some of the things I was doing, I, I definitely would have made them stay home. <laughs> when you were tough to love, they just loved you harder. That's what they did. <laughs> they did. They did. They gave me uh, they didn't just give me a second chance. They give me a, a fourth, fifth, and sixth chance. <laughs> well, I think it turned out in their favor because I think they're probably pretty proud of you now. Well, I'm sure they were proud of you then too, but proud of you now just for how far you've come and what you're doing and how passionate you are about what you're doing. Yes, I'm a, I'm a mama's boy. Are you? <laughs> and um, thankfully, my, my mom is in pretty good health right now. She's good. She has to be up in the better health she's been in over the past 15, the last 15 years. Uh, she, she definitely do, does still have issues, but it's, um, it's been very good. She's been stable, knock on wood good. as of late. And so, uh, I know the, what brings you joy question comes at the end of this conversation, but making, making my parents proud is, is definitely, uh, what brings me joy in life. Uh, they're they're a huge motivating factor for me. Anything I can do to make them proud and and um, you know, I know they get joy out of when I have success. So anything I can do to uh, promote that, I try to do. Sure. Well, yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't be anywhere without them. So I can totally. It's very true. That. Yeah. So talk to me about. Um, you're just kind of your path. You said that clinical is kind of your passion. That's kind of where you find yourself being drawn to. So mm-hmm. tell me more about that. Like what, what do you kind of see yourself and what are you currently doing right now as far as clinical? I currently work inpatient. I do general medicine and then I do some vascular and colorectal surgery. Uh, the population is in the North Bronx. It's, uh, 
very uh, low socioeconomic status, very diverse and underserved community. So uh, it's a busy hospital. It's a massive urban New York City hospital. And right now, I'm still in such early stages of my career. I'm really just trying to be a sponge. I'm just, I'm, my, my goal is just to learn as much as I possibly can. Uh, so I can be the most, my goal is to be the most knowledgeable dietitian there ever was. And that's no, there's no knock. <laughs> there's no knock on anyone else. I'm not, the, I'm not the smartest person in the world. Uh, I'm definitely not the best dietitian in the world, but my goal is to become the smartest dietitian there ever was. And I may not ever achieve that. I may fall flat on my face and that's perfectly fine. But that's, that's really my only goal right now is just to uh, continue learning both through practical experience with hands-on and then also just in my own studies. In your own personal interest, obviously, because you do have a lot of those as well. Yes. yes. Do you, so do you did your, um, so when you decided are you finished? You're finished with grad school, correct? Yes, I am. Yeah. Yeah. I graduate in December. I'm all done. Awesome. Well, I, was, I thought it was probably pretty recent. And where did you graduate from? I went to NYU. Okay. So I did my, I did my internship with the Veterans Administration. And as part of that, that was in the Bronx. As part of that, I had to take 15 credits at NYU. So once the internship was over, I just had to do one full semester at NYU and I was done. Oh, that's awesome. What a great opportunity. That was perfect. It was good. Yeah. And it was nice doing the Veterans Administration because my grandfather was a career uh, Navy man. Okay. Career sailor. So it was, it was nice. It was kind of a, a homage to him and, and uh, his service since none of, uh, not myself or my brothers or, or uh, anyone really has gone into the military since him. Maybe okay. my cousin did. Yeah. That's, I bet the VA experience was your whole internship was there then. With the <laughs> it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. Wow. See, that's, yeah. and that's intense because you do get such a vast variety of just things that you see in that setting. Mm hmm. Yeah, there's, there's no shortage of complicated cases in a VA, uh, both physically and mentally. Sure. So we, we got a little bit of everything. Well, that kind of sets you up very well for kind of your experience in working where you're working now then. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. The The hospital is just two subway stops away from the VA. So it's pretty much the same commute. And we pull from the same population. We essentially pull from the same people in the neighborhoods, just not uh, just not veterans. All different types. So talk yeah, to the, me. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, I say, well, talk to me about, you know, I worked in a, I worked kind of in a similar facility for a while, a part of my career. And you do see so much different, um, just intensity of different disease states and complications and surgery. So you mentioned that you do like a colorectal type of surgery that mm -hmm. you spent. Did you kind of like that or was it kind of given to you? Did you ask for it? Like, how do you educate yourself about something that you just kind of start out in? It was, that was a uh, role that was given to me. So when I had first started, I was a floater position. So anywhere they needed me, I was plugged in. But only a few months after I had been there, somebody had moved on. And at first I liked the idea of being a floater. But once I was actually doing it, I was like, well, it would be kind of nice to have my own floor so I can, you know, become familiar with the staff and have my own desk and everything. So I, I took it on. As far as learning about it, yeah, just a combination of, of being on the job and and uh, not not only just when you work in a hospital, as you, you definitely know, you you not only have to worry about nutrition care, but you also have to learn about the medical care and what uh, what the teams tend to do and how they treat certain cases. And so those, those are things that just take time and a matter of repetition. So That's it's not really something... Yeah. It's not really something that you're going to learn uh, in a textbook. So somebody comes in and they're having a hemicolectomy, like at what point are they going to start feeding them or what's the, um, you know, just, just certain protocols. Like 
it's not something you're going to learn in your nutrition education. You just kind of have to learn by observing what the doctors and the other members of the team are doing. That's so true. It's, I think it's interesting how you do get set up well to be able to perform your job, but you don't really learn all those ins and outs and nooks and crannies until you actually start to do your job. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, this doesn't exactly go off what you said, but it's just a, a thought I'm having about being in the hospital is one of the best parts about being in the hospital, or at least having a job there for some time is learning how a hospital works. And so there's going to be points in your time, whether you're in the hospital or a loved one is going to be in the hospital and you're going to want to know what's going on and how they're being treated and, and what kind of, what good care looks like. So I, I think by having a job in a hospital and being there, you kind of can get a, a grasp of that. And so when it comes time to have a, a family member yourself there, you can be a very good advocate and make sure you're taken care of. That's a good point. I never thought of it that way. That's a great point. <laughs> I always thought it made me more cat. Like, I don't know. I feel like it, I felt like it made me more callous. Like I just was, you know, when I had a family member in the hospital, I'm like, Oh, I know how all this goes and I know what happens. And I didn't show as probably as much emotion as like other families members would, if there was something not going right. And mm-hmm. so I think there's kind of good and bad, but I'm like, Oh, I, I am familiar but I just kind of took that as a second nature. So I think it's good that you made that point. That's a, uh, it's a good characteristic to have though. The callus, I think it uh, it can be, it can definitely have a, you know, a negative projection, but to have at least one person that can remain calm, um, handle the situation and really take whatever throws is thrown at them is good because you are going to get a lot of people that react with emotion that, you know, have to turn away or, or don't know what to do. You definitely need someone that's been kind of numb to it that can, can just see straight and, and handle what's in front of them. Okay. Well, I feel better then. Cause I always thought I was, they were, I, yeah, I always felt like I was kind of like the black sheep of the situation that would sit there and, <laughs> and be reasonable, I guess. But no, that's, that's all very good points. I think, and I think as dietitians, I think that's like, you know, like we were just talking earlier about being emotional about our career. Like sometimes you do have to set yourself aside and look at the big picture of how things work and why things are happening. And I think that's a good message for all dietitians who are considering a clinical role in any way, shape or form. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, also one of, the, one of the things that turns young dietitians or nutrition students away from wanting a clinical role is that you don't, uh, they don't feel they have the same impact and they came into a field where they want to help somebody. But when you're inpatient, what are you really doing? Sometimes, you know, you feel like your, your work is kind of going in vain. And I, I think from what I've gathered that can happen, it can be part of it. But I've also, one of the biggest pleasures I found out of being an inpatient dietitian is being one of the services that can actually sit down and and listen to the patients and talk to them and kind of make them feel safe and um, just listen to what they have to say and and grow a bond with them. Because from what I've seen, there are definitely a lot of doctors out there who are are not listening to their patients. They're very abrupt with them and they, they don't really take the time to sit down and listen to what they have to say. And so I, in my role, I definitely take pride in being someone that is going to give my education and, and treat the patient how I'm supposed to. But at the same time, I'm also going to ask them how their day is and you know, ask them about their family and kind of try to build a relationship and just make them feel a little more settled than, than some of the other services do. Well, and that kind of goes back to your experiences, you know, growing up, like you always were kind of looking for that person that would sit and talk to you and, you know, have a conversation. And I think that's a great quality that you developed. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things, (laughs) uh, one of the things that I've definitely gotten used to saying to certain patients, if you can tell somebody's very scared or they're going through a very hard time, it's, I find that people are, are very at ease. If you say, Mr. You know, Mr. Jones, I'm very sorry for what you're going through. You must be going through so much right now. I can't even imagine what you're going through. And I think you have to read the situation carefully, but 
in most cases, I think it, it makes the, the patient feel really good that you, you're understanding that they're in a very uncomfortable position and that um, you're feeling for them. That's, we could do that with the world, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I think so. We could sit down and say that to everybody, I think, in this world, and we would get, we would get that moment in Panera, don't you think? I think we could. Yeah. I think we could. We could, we could coin or, it or the Panera to, moment. <laughs> yeah, the Panera moment. You know, yeah. you just need to have somebody, you need to have somebody call you down and, and I mean, uh, sit you down and call you out on your bullshit. Yeah. I don't think <laughs> and that's, that's And that's exactly what I needed. I needed somebody to, to sit me down and call me out on my bullshit and say, hey, you're not okay. <laughs> you think you're okay, you're acting okay, but you're not okay and I'm here to help you. I'm here to make you, make you feel better. That's true. Well, and I bet you, when you say that to patients in a hospital, you probably get some very interesting answers and conversations from that. I I can't even tell you how many times I've had patients say, you're the first person that's actually listened to me since I've been here. Wow. I I seriously, I hear that on pretty much every week. I have somebody tell me that. And so if that, if that person, if I'm not you know, having a huge impact on their nutrition status or making a big change in their, in, uh, in, you know, as a dietitian for those certain patients, if that's all I can do, that's more than enough for me. Well, and I think that definitely plays into the whole, just their wellness, overall wellness of their mind. And I mean, we're dietitians and we focus on nutrition, but I think that in a way being a good listener and asking that question, we're like you said, we're doing something else to help them heal in some way. Yes. Doesn't always have to be nutrition focused. It can also be interpersonal. Well, you can be my dietitian in the hospital any day. I would love to be my dietitian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what am I supposed what am what am I supposed to eat? What do you mean what are you supposed to eat? I'm here to, to make you feel better. I don't, you're here to make me who feel better. what you're supposed? eating. <laughs> yeah. They're not listening to what we're supposed to tell them anyways in the hospital usually. They're so overwhelmed. They just yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's actually funny the way I've expressed the the way I deal with patients and kind of the way I, I try to treat other people for the most part isn't exactly how I, I write in my blog post. I think sometimes I can, I'm, I'm a very sarcastic person. And so I think if somebody has never met me, they might read my, my blog post and be like, this person has no compassion. They're, they're a jerk. <laughs> and, uh, the, and I also, I, I certainly don't, you said warm and fuzzy. I, I'm certainly not somebody who is uh, all about the warm and fuzzy when it comes to my Instagram and, and my writing. <laughs> That's just the other side. So talk to me kind of what is your approach with your blog and your Instagram and your social media presence? I, I do like, I guess my, my number one goal is just to continue learning and to practice reading and writing and at the same time, that's, that's like, I would say my primary goal. My secondary goal is just to try to put out good information. Uh, the reason why I started writing on Instagram in the first place is because I, I was on Instagram. I was following some dietitians and I was just like, wow, this, like some of the stuff that's being put out there, like this needs to stop. We need to, we need to step our game up because I, I follow a lot of, uh, physical therapists, chiropractors, and some of the practitioners in those fields put out spectacular content. And just one off the top of my head is Dr. Jacob Hardin. Uh, just spectacular educational content that is can be uh, absorbed by the general population, but it's definitely uh, more for the advanced, advanced learner as far as, uh, you know, exercise and healing from injuries. Huh. And oh, so I, my, and so, yeah, and he's, he's like huge. He's, I think he has like 400,000 followers or something. I wouldn't be surprised, but he, I was looking at that and I said, Hey, well, there's nothing really, nobody in nutrition that's kind of doing that. And I'm not happy with what's being out, putting put out there by most dietitians. So instead of just sitting here being grumpy and complaining about it, I, I can't, I can't have a voice and be complaining if I'm not doing anything about it. So I might as well just start posting some things and trying to make my, 
my, my voice heard by somebody. And I think that's great. I think it's, I like, and I, I get sarcasm and I enjoy that. And you're right. Some people don't, but I feel like you do deliver nutrition information in a very unique way. That's very different than most of the dietitians that are on social media for sure, which is good. We need to have different people doing different things in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's definitely not a, I'm not trying to say like, Oh, my content's the best and everyone else sucks. But because other people have different goals. They have different interests. They have different goals. And a lot of them are people who are running businesses. They have other presence. They have other like, you know, blogs on different websites. And so they have their hands in different pots. It's not focused on Instagram. I'm, I'm very grateful that I'm working in a, I'm working in a hospital where I have a, a salary that's decent enough that right now I'm, I'm thinking about maybe some other like business you know, getting involved in some kind of business. But for right now, I'm just not selling anything. I'm not promoting any products. I'm really just focusing on making content and, and trying to provide information while learning along the way. Well, and that's That's your primary goal. You want to learn, you want to learn. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And see, so you're right. You're, you're right where you should be. Then you're kind of in that space where, you're learning along the way you're sharing information and you're right. You're not selling anything there's no business attachment to it. And that's what makes it very evergreen and very just unique and exactly what I enjoy about your account. So thank you very much. Keep doing what you're doing. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try. I'm going to try. There's definitely some, uh, you know, it's always ups and downs. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm excited about what I'm doing. And then other times it's like, is this really worth it? Or should I be like, should I go down, you know, down to the local restaurant and start making 200 bucks a night waitering oh. or serving rather? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I'll, know. I'll choose. I'm going to stick to the former. I, I think there's definitely a purpose for what I'm doing. And I have zero intentions of quitting. I'm just joking. So, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> do you uh do you still do personal training then too? I don't. I no. don't. Right now is right now my main focus is just um writing and learning in my spare time and then also just taking care of myself as well. Um my I work and then I come home and I'm at the gym, I'm writing and then trying to spend some free time outside now that the weather's nice. Yeah, right. Uh, so <laughs> as far as as far as personal training goes, I am not ruling it out definitely something I want to do in the future. It's just right now being in Manhattan, it's, I haven't really come across an opportunity that's uh, really fit in with what I want to, with what I want to do. Well, and you sound like you're, you're very happy with where you're at professionally and personally, and all those things are kind of working together in your favor. Yes, that is certainly true. Isn't it good to be there? Don't you feel like, Oh, wow. I got here. I kind of got here. Yeah. This is awesome. If you if you told me six years ago that I was going to be a dietitian and I was going to have a blog where I was reporting on science and promoting health in some way, I would have told you to get the fuck out of my face. <laughs> and I hate to use, I hate no, to drop fine. the f bomb on here, but you I would have said you're full of shit, and I would have probably rolled another joint and blown the smoke in your face. That's and amazing. To six be years. there now, six years, that's six years ago, because I'm, I'm 26 now. So when mm-hmm. I was 20, I, I had started, you know, playing some basketball and working out, but I was not committed to pursuing a career in any way. And I was still kind of um, messing around. And then flash forward two years from then, when I was kind of like, hey, this might be actually something that I could see myself doing, that felt like, Oh my God. Now I have to do all the DVDs. I have to do an internship. I have to do, um, I have to pass the exam. All that seems so far into the future. And then all of a sudden it's here. (laughs) I I walked out of my last final of a master's. I was like, wow, every single goal I have set out, I set out for myself when I was 21 years old, leaving Clemson into a new journey. I just accomplished all of those goals. And I don't even, I, it's what, been five months now. I, I don't really have any other specific goals that I've set for myself. So that's something I need to work on this summer. But all the big ones that I, I had set forth for myself have been accomplished. Well, congratulations. I think that's amazing. And I really 
think you're in a great space and I love what you're doing in your social media. And I think it's great that you have a job that you enjoy too, because that says a lot. Thank you. Thank you. And some people at work will say, Oh, you like it now. We'll see how you like it next year. <laughs> so we'll see. I'm, not, like, okay. I'm, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty easygoing person. I, I don't get uh, flustered or frustrated very easily. So uh, I think I'll do well there and continue to push forward and keep a positive attitude, but you never know, especially with this New York city grind. You never know. I never know when, uh, I'm going to give up on it and either move to Wyoming or oh. uh, Colorado or Utah or something. Yeah. I could see, I guess just, I don't know you extremely personally, but I could see you in those places. Yeah. For me, it's, it's either Manhattan or I'm going somewhere with a lot of nature. Well, at least Which is you, kind of a strange contrast. <laughs> well, at least you have kind of that as a future goal for yourself. If you do relocate, you kind of know that you want to be in an, in an environment like that. I do. As long as, you're also, not, as long as you're not going to Colorado for the pot purposes, then. You can- <laughs> oh, no, I, that is uh, way in my past. I'm an old man now. I'm a very, I'm a, I'm a very old 26. I mean. <laughs> This, uh, I have no interest in partaking in any of those activities anymore. <laughs> well, you probably did enough of it. You're like, eh, I don't need to do anymore. I did plenty. I'm good. Yeah. And it's actually funny because the people that I'm around that will talk about it that are, you know, still do it recreationally. I'll be like, you know, they'll say something about high school. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, yeah, I used to smoke a little pot, too, myself. but um, <laughs> Just a little. Just a little bit. A little bit. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm yeah, there's excited. always good stories. I'm excited to, um, we'll have to, I tell a lot of my guests this, but, and you know, I'd love to touch base with you again in a year and just do like a quick podcast check-in to see what you're up to and what you're doing. So we can all keep up with your journey as well as follow you on social media. Cause that does yeah, keep that us up on your journey. Fun. So. Yeah, I'm yeah, excited. I hope, that. I, I hope I didn't scare anyone away with my uh, <laughs> little bit of life story in the beginning. I, I'm interested to see how it turns out because uh, it felt a little disjointed. I don't think I prepared it as well as I should have beforehand. I was kind of like, oh, once I start talking, I'll be fine. But then uh, there are definitely uh, several layers to it that are, are hard to explain in oh, a, a short sure. amount of time, especially when I haven't told my story many times before. Well, and you can always do more video. You could write a memoir. I think that I could see you being a person that writes something in the future that gets published, whether it's about your personal story or whether it's about science or I just there's I think the possibilities are endless. So I think I think people, once they get to know you, they'll get to know those layers, which will be good. Yeah. Okay, so we have to come to the hard questions. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> you I'm, answered I'm one already, which is what brings you joy. But what's your favorite food? Maybe right now or always. My favorite food. It it has to be. This is kind of a, a weird one, but I think it'd probably be a banana. Huh. I, I eat a banana every single day. My breakfast every morning is two peanut butter and banana sandwiches. I, I've been eating that every day for at least the last year and a half. When you I, do I don't that think post I go. I don't it. think I. Yeah, that's like my recommendation. So now I'm, I'm called out for, for <laughs> you know, just just promoting something I do myself. Uh, yeah, but uh, banana might be my favorite food because I, I think I eat one every single day, and so that for that reason, it will have to qualify as my favorite food because I eat it every single day. Perfect. I do like a good banana and peanut butter sandwich. I'm with you on that. That's yeah. So if, good. if combinations are if combinations are allowed, it's peanut butter and banana. That's my final answer. <laughs> What's your favorite beverage? Coffee. Is that I'm with big your coffee banana? guy? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I I make a, a bunch of jars of iced coffee at home, and I bring those to work with me. I eat my sandwiches and my iced coffee. Uh, I've been doing that routine for a long time now, but yeah, I'm definitely a, a big coffee guy. What's your black coffee? You, black coffee. Do you have like a favorite brand? Uh, I just buy Trader Joe's. I'm a Trader Joe's homer. Are you? <laughs> so uh, I'm I'm a big Trader Joe's guy, and then if I if I'm on the on the road, I'm a Starbucks guy. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, favorite color. My favorite color has to be orange. 
So I, I don't wear orange very often. It's not a color that looks particularly good on me, but orange is the color of Clemson University, my alma mater. And uh, I think I look back now as going to Clemson being one of the best things that ever happened to me in my life, uh, just from an environmental standpoint. But also it's given me uh, something to continue following. Their football team is, is excellent if you ever follow uh, college football. And so... I'm a lifelong fan now, and I've, I've built a lot of relationships around going to football games and being involved in that community. Do you go back? Do you go back to Clemson? I did. My first couple of years out of college, we I went back. My my best friend uh, from college, Brooks, lives in Atlanta, and so I would go down and see him, and we'd go up to Clemson, but I didn't make it down there this year. So uh, I'm actually taking a week off next year in the end of September and I'm going to go to two games. So I'm going to spend the whole week down there. Awesome. Good. Good. Um, Favorite scent or smell? My favorite scent or smell. Oh, it's marijuana. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Ah! I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, My favorite, you know what it is? I think it might be uh, laundry from the outside. Oh, I don't know if this is a smell. Yeah, I don't know if this is a smell that everybody recognizes, but growing up in our, me and my brother spent a lot of time on our driveway in our backyard, whether it was skateboarding or playing hockey. And there was a little outlet from the dryer room that would push out air. And just that smell was amazing. I love it. I agree with you. I will walk into my neighborhood and you can just smell people. I'm like, oh, they're doing laundry. I can smell it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good smell. I love that answer. Um, And I I know you mentioned Donna earlier and your family, that they bring you joy. Is there anything else in your life that you really find joyful? Um, Man, I... I, 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 um revealed my cards too soon with my parents one that was the one i had (laughs) that's a great one though yeah and that's i think ultimately that's the best one because i'm sure they're beaming with pride yeah and they they certainly are and um seeing them happy is just something i can't put a a value on and so that is the number one thing if there's a small thing that brings me joy uh, it would probably, I hate to bring it back to Instagram, but I, I do get some messages sometimes where people are just, um, you know, tell me I'm an inspiration or I motivate them to read and learn or something like that. And so, you know, if, if, uh, there's anything like that, uh, that happens to me, that definitely brings me joy because it, it gives me purpose for what I've been doing on there. That's that's good that you're getting good feedback. I like that. Yeah. Except now I have to go answer this really, really long message that somebody uh, left to me. So we'll <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the doghouse. In the doghouse. In the Instagram doghouse. Oh my god! I don't feel like this uh, yeah. will be your first time <laughs> or last time. <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I don't want to make any enemies at all. No, you know, I, I never. I'm not going to fight fire with fire, but. Uh, I love everybody. And even if they have opposing opinions, I, I try to meet them at their level. Sure. Conversations are always good as long as they stay a conversation. Right. Especially when they're with Anne Elizabeth on the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Gosh, you're just like nailing them today. <laughs> 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 well, thank you so much for your time today. And like I said, next year, 2019, we will touch base again and check in with you and see what awesomeness you're up to. That sounds great. Thank you so much. I really, truly enjoy learning a lot more about Mitch today. When you have social media friends, there's just something missing, which is why this podcast is one of my favorite things to do. Mitch blew me away for all he has gone through and all the determination he has had to achieve his goals. And I know he's going to achieve them. So please go follow him on Instagram and engage with him. I can almost guarantee you will learn something. It's at Fit by Mitch and it's also in my show notes. My website, AnnaElizabethArty.com is where you can read my latest weekly wisdom blog post where I share my current adventures, food I am eating, and the music playlist I create for my weekly fitness. 
I might also include a really delicious real deal recipe. And I'm always sharing with you what I'm loving right now from a variety of beauty products to maybe just a nail color. You never know. You will find all my previous podcasts, show notes, and links to things we talked about during all of our conversations with my favorite people. And you can also purchase my book from the website. Please connect with me on social media by finding me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest at AnnaElizabethRD. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.